Folks, we're going to turn to God's Word, and as I've already mentioned, we're going to work our way through the book of Titus. Not a large book by any stretch of the imagination. You'll find it this morning on page uh, 998 of the small print uh, Bible. 998 of the small print. Uh, And if you've got a, a large print Bible there, you'll get it on page 1271. 1271. Uh, I've never preached on Titus before, so I I want to preach all the way through the Bible by the time my days are done. Uh, Genesis through to Revelation. Never, for some reason, got to Titus, but it ties in really well with what I want us to do over the first couple of months of the new year. It's a new year. It's a new decade. Uh, I don't know what the church will look like by the time another decade comes around. Uh, I remember standing here in 2010 thinking, oh, I wonder what 2020 is going to be like. I didn't have a clue, and I don't have a clue today. A new year, a new decade, many things have changed in the past 10 years in our church, in our town, in our nation. No doubt many things will change again. And so what are we going to do about that? What are we, what are we going to be like? Last week I preached a sermon that, that said there were no guarantees, no certainties about anything. That is true. But that doesn't mean that God has left us to, to just fit just to drift along, crossing our fingers and and hoping, hoping for the best. Not a bit of it. And so I want us to to think about uh, this book, Titus. I'm calling it 2020 Titus, uh, a book written to this young guy, Titus, on the island of Crete uh, about the Church of Christ. Titus was a Greek. He was a Gentile. Uh, He was a young pastor. He was a man beloved by Paul all the way through Paul's letters. Paul speaks highly uh, in favor of Titus. He speaks about him as his brother. He speaks about Titus as a comforter, someone who when he came comforted me and comforted the saints. He was a man that was trusted by Paul, a man that was sent to do uh, jobs and to do work for him. Uh, And here Paul writes to Titus in a letter, I, I suppose we, Titus gets skipped over. It's small But I'm thankful for my days in Bloomfield Gospel Hall Sunday School because it has stuck in me. We used to sing uh, a song about the words of God. uh, And you think, oh, the word of God, where's Titus? I never know where Titus is. And in that wee song we go, Titus and Philemon. And you used to let on, you were a real fancy singer. Uh, But that's stuck in my head. So if you you never know where Titus is, it's just before Philemon. You can sing that next week. But that's Titus, just three chapters. And here's a wee challenge for you. Uh, Read Titus in its entirety, maybe today or certainly before next week. And hopefully you will uh, start to get the juices flowing uh, about what we're going to learn about the church of Jesus Christ as we start a new decade. So this is Titus, chapter 1 and the first four verses. And this is the word of God. Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Let's read it once more, just a few verses. 
Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Amen. And we thank God for Titus uh, and pray that we will be richly blessed by its reading and preaching over these next few weeks. Folks, we're going to continue to worship God with our offering. I'm a gentle soul, you know that by now. Don't have a big mouth, you know that by now. I would never dream of getting up here this morning and saying that people from Balnehinch are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. I would never say it. I wouldn't believe it, and I would never dream of saying it. But as we will discover in the next week or so, that's exactly what is said in the book of Titus about people that Titus was ministering to and living around in the island of Crete. Indeed, Paul uses a prophet, a, a Cretan prophet. He uses his own words against him. A Cretan prophet said that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Imagine knowing that. Imagine being a pastor on Crete and knowing that even people from Crete said that about themselves. How would you ever minister in such a place, knowing that the people around you, the people that you do business with, are liars? And, and Christians took delight in telling lies. They saw it as socially acceptable. If you needed to get out of a, a tricky spot, you just told a lie. That was fine. On Crete, that was okay. You knew that the people around you were liars. They were evil beasts. They didn't think anything about uh, restricting themselves from any temptation or desire. They did what they wanted to do. They apparently weren't a nice kind of people. They were lazy gluttons. It was about pleasure. It was about feasting. It was about dancing. It was about living your life now. And here's Titus, a pastor of the church in Crete, having to minister in such a situation. Hey, folks, we would never dream of saying it about people in Balnehinch, I would imagine. But you have lived in Balnehinch longer than me. Say to yourself in your own wee heads right now what you think about people from Balnehinch. I'll wait. We'll not shout out. We won't do that. But you've got it in your head. Maybe, maybe in your wee heads. And you said this, not me. If you're listening on the new CDs, they said this in their heads, not me. But maybe in your wee heads you're thinking people from Balnehinch like the gossip. People from Balnehinch know all your business. They're nosy. Maybe, maybe that's in your head. Or maybe in your head you're saying to yourself, Scott, I live in Sainfield. People in Sainfield are lovely. Maybe that's up to you. But folks, we are many years on from Paul's letter to Titus, but we still live in a town that is not exactly on fire for the gospel. It's a town where you and I, living out our day-to-day -day life, will not always be welcomed with open arms to come please come in, share the good news of Jesus, explain to us what it is you believe. We live in a town which is as dark as it was back in the day on Crete. And that's not a criticism, it's just a reality. 
Chainfield is the same, Drummond is the same, Belfast is the same, Glenarm and Carnalbana, they're the same. We live as little outposts of heaven in dark, anti-gospel places. And maybe already you're thinking, Scott, last week you told us that there are no guarantees. And this week, Scott, I, I need a word of encouragement. I don't want any more no guarantees. The world is tough kind of sermons. Well, friends, there is hope today. And I hope this will encourage you, not just as we spend some time in these first four verses, but as we work through this book, as we see a vision for our church, a vision for the way ahead. Paul is clear to Titus, this is going to be a difficult place for you to minister, full of liars and, and evil beasts and lazy, boastful people. And yet Titus is full of hope for pastors, for Christians, and for the local church. What gave me hope this week is something that has never happened before in my time in Balnehinch. And I'll only say it the once because it is so wonderful, it is so dramatic, and maybe you missed it. But Glenn Torn climbed to the top of the Irish League this week for the first time in years. And if that can happen, anything can happen. There are no guarantees. We live in dark towns, dark streets, dark lands, dark cities. There are no guarantees. But there is a hope. And we know that because today we come to the teaching of not a member of the National Trust, but a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul's letters all kind of start in that same way. Paul starts by outlining who he is, what he is, what he is about, and therefore why to this very day we should read and preach and listen to the teaching of the apostles, and in this case, the letter of Paul to Titus. As you've already heard with the boys and girls and mums and dads, I would hope that over the next few weeks you will go home uh, and together you will speak to your families and you will say, what do we learn about Titus today? What did we hear in the children's address? We heard that Paul was an apostle, full of authority, full of significance. If an apostle spoke, the church was to listen. And the apostles were these men who had seen Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 22, uh, or verse 21 to 22, we read, One of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. They were speaking about replacing uh, Judas. How, who's going to replace him? Who's going to be a fellow apostle? And the key was, it needs to be someone who was with Jesus, who saw Jesus, who was a witness to the resurrection. The apostles were those who had seen the risen Christ. But not only that, the apostles were those who had been sent out by Jesus, by Jesus himself. Jesus in Mark's gospel appointed 12, whom he had also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. That little thing I was talking to Aaron Stafford about, it's, it's the word apostle. I write it in the board up in the classroom at the school. The word post is in the middle of it. And I say, apostle, who is it? Someone who was sent with a message. There's nothing like getting the post up your drive. Nothing like the, the postman coming up the street. My postman's called Fergus, and he's a gentleman. Uh, and he opens my door, and he throws it into my porch. He doesn't even make me go outside. I love getting posts. Apostles had a, 
an even more wonderful and valuable message to take, a message given to them by Jesus to take to the nations. The apostles saw the risen Christ. The apostles were sent out by Christ. And the apostles were accompanied by signs and wonders. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Here were the apostles. There are no longer any apostles in the church of Jesus Christ. We believe the last apostle was the apostle John, who, who we think, can't prove it biblically, but we think according to the church history, a Paul died in old age, the last of the apostles. But the apostles saw Christ, they were sent by Christ, and their preaching and ministry was accompanied by signs and wonders. And so over these next few weeks, we are not listening to the wisdom of men. There's been an awful lot of talk this week about how long Stormont will last. There's been an awful lot of talk this week about was it a good deal for Republicans or a good deal for Unionists. You'll be on one side of that fence or the other. It's up to you. Ultimately, when it comes to the Word of God, it is of no importance. We do not listen to commentators. We do not need to tune in uh, to news programs or get the newsletter every morning, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, Today in 2020, and I pray by the time we get to 2030, our church will be marked as a church that is absolutely passionate about the teaching of the apostles, the prophets, the word of God. You might already say, Scott, we are. We are. And I hope that that is the case. I hope indeed that we are. I hope there's something in you this morning. You might woke up this morning with a sore back or a stiff neck and and, and, you know, maybe you were a bit grumpy today, but I hope there was a wee bit in you somewhere that thought, you know what, I'm looking forward to going to church. I'm looking forward to going to church. And as I try to say to John on Friday night, I, I hope that Glen Arm doesn't become about John. I hope it's always about Christ and him crucified, and I hope it's the same here. I hope you don't come to church for my sake or for the sake of someone else. I hope you come to worship your Lord and to hear him speak. And friends, you've already heard him speak. You've heard him speak in the call to worship. You've heard him speak as we prayed scripture earlier on in the service. You've heard the word read. This is the word of God. May we be today and always a church that is passionate about the teaching of the apostles. A church that is passionate and absolutely committed to the word of God. Paul writes as an authoritative apostle who had seen the risen Lord Jesus, who was sent by the risen Lord Jesus, and who preached, and his ministry was accompanied by signs and wonders. We must listen to what this man is saying. And he writes to this church, to this pastor called Titus, and he writes for the sake of the faith of God's elect, for their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. This is the purpose that he writes. This is the purpose of his ministry and, and the purpose of his preaching. He preaches and he writes for the sake of the faith of the elect. These words are written to Titus so that the faith of these men and women will be strengthened. These words written to Titus for the sake of the church of Jesus Christ. You see, when we get up on a Sunday and read the word of God and then when we spend time preaching the word of God, it is for the sake of your faith. And you may not believe that or always understand it or always appreciate it, 
But in the moments between what, say, half 11 and 5 to 12 when I'm preaching, it's not just a time to get your extra strong mints out and work your way through them. It's not just your time to see if you've got uh, any wee note on your phone that you can read to pretend you're reading the Bible, but actually you're reading emails from your granny. It's, it's not that. As the word is read and as the word is preached, it is for the strengthening of your faith. Your faith, which has received and rests in Christ as he is offered in the gospel, the Bible preached and the Bible read and the Bible studied, it is so that your faith will be strengthened. And how many of us need that? All of us need that. How many of us in these days of uncertainty with no guarantees, as you were told last week, how many of us need a faith that will not shrink? A faith that is not built on the sandy land or or too close to the shore, but a faith that is grounded upon the scriptures, the word of God, the teaching of the prophets and the apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's what we do here, and that's what we want to continue to do as 2020 will become 2021, and on we go. Paul writes, for the strengthening of the faith of the elect and their knowledge of the truth, as verse 1 continues, their knowledge of the truth. The preaching of God's word isn't just so that your faith will be strengthened, but it is so that you will continue to grow in knowledge of the truth. And I pray indeed that this will be a year, and a decade, and a life for you that grows constantly in the knowledge of God's word. Friends, I'm not going to bash you over the head this morning, but I do commend to you the work of Bryn McConkey on a Monday morning. She does a Bible study for ladies. Billy and Jack on a Thursday morning have a Bible study for whosoever will come. Tuesday night, as you've heard, uh, at the start of this service this week, Dave has a, a Bible study in the book of Philippians this Tuesday. Thursday in a couple of weeks, I myself will step up. We will work our way through the book of James. There's a, a Bible study on Tuesday afternoon for young people. We bring our children to Sunday school. We listen to sermons, I hope, morning and evening. There's even a wee podcast that you can subscribe to. Do you know I was putting together my podcast uh, this week? I, I did it on Friday. Uh, and there's almost uh, 20 hours worth of teaching there. You could listen to me for a whole day and sleep for four hours. Imagine that. But folks, it's not for the sake of it. I promise you that. It's, it's, it's not to give myself or, or Dave or, or Billy or whoever something to do. It's not that. It's for the sake of the faith of God's elect so that you might grow in knowledge of the truth. As we unfold our 2020 vision, May we be men and women who love the truth, who love doctrine, who love understanding the things of God. May we not be content with paddling about in the shallow end of the faith, but may we want more of the word, getting into the word to understand more of the things that God has spoken to us. It is for this reason that the apostle writes to Titus. Here's why I'm writing, Titus. To strengthen your faith and the faith of your hearers, to encourage them in the knowledge of the truth, and to lead them into sanctification. He wants to lead them into that which accords with godliness, he says at the end of verse 1. You see, what we do not want to be in Eden Grove is a church that, that hears the truth, has good, strengthened, independent faith, that believes doctrine. But you know what? See, when we're down the street, we're a bunch of clump We don't want that. 
We don't want to be men and women who, who you know, you hear being talked about in the town. Oh, he calls himself a Christian, but I'm sure he wouldn't look at you. He wouldn't talk to you. Calls himself a Christian, but sure, you know, look at how he treats me and look how he treats his wife. Look how he does this. No. As our faith is strengthened, as we understand more of the doctrines of God, then, then that has and should have an impact on how we live our lives. We call that sanctification. We're not saved by sanctification. We are declared righteous by God. We are saved through faith in Christ. But we are saved and we grow every day in the faith. And as the Holy Spirit works in us, we are made to look more like Jesus. Friends, we do not rest in our sanctification. If that was the case, then none of us would ever believe that we're saved because sanctification is always imperfect in this life. It is not the grounds for our resting and assurance, not a bit of it. We must grow as Christians. We must desire to grow. We must desire to look more like Jesus. We must want to be men and women who, who when we see the little sin that creeping into our life, we want to get rid of it. I remember when I was growing up in Bloomfield Congregational Church, and the minister's uh, daughter, Sharon, used to teach my Sunday school class. We sang a wee song, Get Them Out, Get Them Gone, All the Little Rabbits in the Fields of Corn, Envy, Jealousy, Malice, and Pride, these must never in my heart abide. You ever heard that before? Well, we'll finish our service with it today. I probably didn't understand it. What have rabbits got to do with anything in the Bible? I, I didn't know what that was about, but it stuck with me. And the point was that as men and women of faith, we shouldn't be the best Christians in the world between the hours of 11 and 12 and then walk down the street filled with anger and rage and bitterness. That's not how it works. Paul says, I write to strengthen your faith, to build you up in the doctrines of God, and to lead you into all that accords with godliness. And why? Why do we bother? Because in 2020, we still, like Paul, like Titus, live in the hope of eternal life. See, this week there has not been a wild lot to be hopeful about. You switch on the TV, the news is all dark, it's all doom and gloom. Many of us are feeling a wee bit uncertain. Many of us have known nothing else in Northern Ireland and there's talk of borders and pools and different languages, etc., etc., etc. We're all getting worked up and all troubled about it. But Paul says, I write to you as someone who hopes on eternal life. God has done this for us, says Paul. God never lies. God can be trusted. God is not like the Christians who, who love lying and who justify lying. God never lies. God is not a liar. And God has promised before the ages began that he would save a people for himself, that he would send a child whose heel would be bruised, but he would crush the head of the serpent. God is going to do this. God does not lie. And this has become manifested, says Paul. This is our hope. We live as brothers and sisters in Christ in a common faith in the glorious hope of the gospel. Every single day of 2020, no matter what happens, we have the hope of the gospel. And my brothers and sisters, I know some of you at the minute are living lives which are absolutely filled with sadness. Lives where there's nothing to hope for. 
lives of brokenheartedness, lives of, of relationships down the toilet, lives which are, are lives which are, are just broken and sore and, and full of sadness and, and grieving and bitterness. And, and you might think, Lord, where are you in my life? But brothers and sisters, I pray that if you are in the pits, or if you are those who think, you know what, Lord, my life's pretty good at the minute. I'm thankful for it. Everything's working out well. Whether you are in the pits or whether you are at the top of the tree, may you realize that your hope is always, always, always in the gospel. Never in self. Never in, you know what, life's going to work out all right. It'll probably slap you in the face. Never hoping in politicians, but always in the gospel. It is the hope of eternal life that you and I have. And that you and I must be grounded upon and that you and I must make much of in the decade that come. By 2030, whether I'm here or not, whether you're here or not, may the doors of this church still be open and, and may whoever's up here, maybe we John Brogan, you never know, whoever's up here, may they still be standing and proclaiming Christ and him crucified. See, there's no greater hope than that. In an uncertain life, with shifting sands all around us, there is no greater hope. And listen to this, you brokenhearted. Listen to this, you who are, who are far from joy and happiness. God did this before the ages of began, he said. God did this before the ages began. Can you imagine that? That you in your life, which seems like an absolute mess, and you're, you're sad, and you're sorry, and you're brokenhearted, and everything's not working out as you foresaw or planned. Well, in the ages before time itself, God laid his hand upon you. Sad child of God, low, brokenhearted child of God, you are loved with an everlasting love, a love that gives you a hope even in the middle of the pits, a hope that will not perish, spoil, or fade, and will last this decade and forevermore. And friends, for you who are hopeless, well, that hope could be yours this morning. And as the sun shines in our window and shines in Anne's wee earrings there, what a beautiful sight as the sun pours in. Well, may the light of the gospel pour into your life you realize this morning that in 2020, you're the same as you were in 2010, still in dire need of Jesus, still need to understand the gospel, still need to be saved, and this is the day for it. Not in 10 years, but today. That the hope of this good news fills your life, your soul, your heart with a vision of the crucified but risen Jesus. Friends, these things, may they always mark this church. May they always be said about this church. A church that loves the apostles' teaching, that wants to grow and be strengthened in faith and in doctrine and in life, sanctification. And a church that even if it burnt to the ground tonight, would wake up in the morning still with the hope of the gospel richly in our hearts. Friends, a lot of this ministry is done as the word is preached. I know for some, you may not like that. Sometimes we want sermons to be short. Give us seven minutes and get us out, Scott. I know that. I know that. But preaching is essential to the health of a church. 
Absolutely. Paul tells us here that, that all of this was manifested in God's word. Verse 3 says this. Manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. There's no two ways about it. What happens in this pulpit at least twice a week is of vital importance to the health of our church and to the health of you. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There's no two ways about it. The Lord has, has ordained the foolishness of preaching to convert sinners to uh, salvation and to strengthen the faith and knowledge of the doctrines of God and the hearts of men and women of faith. And so as a challenge this morning, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters of a common faith, may you and I this year and this decade be absolutely committed to the word of God. Absolutely committed to the word of God. It was on Friday night that Ronnie had knew the convener of Glen Arm and Carnalbana said that John said to the congregations gathered, he, he said, you know, give John time to preach. Come and listen to him preach. Never uh, underestimate the power of preaching. And so brothers and sisters, may we get a hunger for it and a thirst for it. May you be saying to me at the door, Scott, it's 12 o'clock, it's a bit early, would you not keep us a wee bit longer? Imagine that. Imagine by 2030 we're, we're like the Nigerians that my sister-in-law ministers among, who worship for about three and a half hours on a Sunday. Imagine by 2030 we're like the the Thai people that I once met and worshipped with, who were annoyed when one of our preachers only spoke for about 20 minutes. They looked at each other as if to say, is that it? Imagine by 2030 we were a congregation that said, more of the word, please. More of that good news, please. We come not to be lazy beasts like the Christians, not to be men and women like the Christians who, who love and justify lying. Not a bit of it. We come, we come to meet with Jesus. And we come to grow in the precious faith that he has won for us at Calvary and which was written before this world began. And so, my brothers and sisters, as this decade begins... And as we look tentatively to 2030 and all that will happen from now until then, to Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, my brothers and sisters in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Amen.